The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It's one of those days we're already not starting out with a real long good morning. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, Mike is not the, uh, crispiest cracker in the bunch today. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure where the rest of the bunch is or what crisp might be. And, and that's mainly uh, as much as most people would say it's due to real life stuff. I think it's mainly due to the fact that there's no hockey for the next couple of months. (sighs) Hockey is real life. This is true. This is true. It's not played in a bubble. Oh, wait. Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't even know where to start. I mean, okay, congratulate. We'll start off with congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, <sighs> this was such a weird playoff run from a lot of a lot of points of view. The bubble had a lot to do with it. Um, the restart had some to do with it. Uh, the lack of fan experience or at least in arena fan experience, uh, was a component, Mm -hmm. but overall, and I really hate to say this, uh, people are going to think that it's just, you know, sour grapes or anything like that. Overall, first to last, I genuinely feel this was one of the worst playoff, uh, presentations uh as far as or playoff seasons as far as um pure entertainment value goes it was odd yeah Go ahead. i think there were only about three maybe maybe four good series and that in that includes you know the pretend offs um in the entire postseason And I have no idea what to relate it to. I, I And most of those were in the West. Yes, this is true. Anything Vancouver, Vegas was even though Vegas did what the you know, dismantling of but Vancouver was enjoyable to watch in all their series. Uh, the Columbus series out east was probably the most engaging. That that was against Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Montreal was enjoyable to watch. I I found myself actually trying to free myself up to watch Montreal Canadiens games. I, I I don't know if it was an underdog thing or or it, yeah, it was a really bizarre postseason because I I genuinely don't think that any Bruins fan who was legitimately watching the product on the ice believed that that team was going to suddenly turn around and turn into a playoff contender at some point. Even, even in the wins, they were with with the Bruins. They were coming from behind and winning, you know, in the last half of the third period, or there was never really, Maybe one game where I thought, okay, they were truly dominant. Yep. And, and for a team that finished top of the league in points and, and best goaltending tandem in the league, it, it's like uh, there should have been more. 
they should have been harder to win to to put down. And I'll 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 say it. I don't think that the Stanley Cup final was a good Stanley Cup final. It's not because of the teams that were in it, because Dallas really wasn't. I, okay. What happened? Let's, what happened let's, to the... sc- let's scroll back to mid-January where I said, you know, if it's not uh, where I said that the entire West was crap. <laughs> Yeah, remembering that. Uh, I mean, realistically, Tampa Bay, as good as they were, they didn't have Stamkos. uh, Even even though Hedman ended up getting the Conn Smythe, he was not playing at 100%. They were without a couple of key players. Not toward the end of the series. Early early on in the series, he was still playing top level, but I— I don't know if something happened, but yeah, as as that as that final wore on, he seemed to it was catching up to him. Um, you had uh, you had other guys, other Vassal. key guys, including uh, McDonough miss games or yeah. miss uh, miss some time. They should have beaten, given how badly the first periods for. Dallas were, went. That should have been a four-game series based on pure quality. Um, As I asked, what was it last week? Uh, what happened to the Dallas team that eliminated Vancouver, uh, Vegas? Because Vegas should have won that series based on the way Vegas was playing up to that point. They were the one. They were the one team that I felt was truly dominant. And everybody that I talked to, everybody that that I've seen on TV, or everything I've read, they were the favorite at at that point. And Dallas come in and completely turned it upside down, got yeah. into the final, and then rolled over like a puppy. Yeah. I mean the 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 Vegas uh, Vegas was a tough out, um, regardless of the on ice appearance. They were a tough team, uh, but let's but face it the they I think that Dallas knew they were overachieving. Really, I I think that in some in some ways Dallas knew they were overachieving. They didn't have a great regular season and no, but the Tampa Bay lightning, it's Tampa Bay lightning have been number one or number two in the league for most of the last five years. Um, you can't look at your, you can't objectively look at your record just this past season and think that all of a sudden you're better than they are or as good as they are. Yeah, what is that? What is that? Um, uh, the that tuna quote, the the former coach of the of the Patriots, your record is you, you are what your record says you are, or, or pretty much. I mean, it, so even if you even if you it, playing top of the league, you know, it's I want I'm wondering at what point does Tampa Bay start to struggle with the issues that Chicago faced. Oh, I think it's now like legitimately 
they have players that they're going to need to re-sign this year or next year. And for the first time, for the first time since 2005, the cap isn't really going, isn't going up. And it's not Eisenman running the team anymore. And it, whether you believe, uh, whether you believe it or not, I think that the, I think the general manager does have some influence on, I mean, yes, players want to get paid. I get all that, but I think that, a GM has to be somewhat of a salesman too. And if they can sell a player on, look, if you give me one more year, you know, I can give you a, you know, we can potentially do this again type of, I mean, I think that Eisenman is good at that. I don't know how Julian Breesbaugh is, but he's been aside. He's been alongside Eisenman for the last number of years now. But I think that the GM has to be somewhat of a salesman in order to convince the players that, you know what, I'll take a chance. We'll sign for a little bit less. That way I can sign this other guy and we can make another run. I mean, up front, they don't have any major uh, they don't have any major um, players to sign. It's It's Mitchell Stevens, Patrick Maroon, Anthony Sorelli and Carter Verhage. I mean, Sorelli is probably the key there yes you got sergachev you got uh is it cernak uh yes bogosian shattenkirk i think bogosian's gone shattenkirk might even be gone shattenkirk is probably gone <laughs> yeah um you've only got three gold to, uh, three defensemen signed for next year and no matter how good uh headman and mcdonough are um, they are you not can't play playing 60 minutes, minutes a night. game. No, <laughs> not in a, not in a 60 minute game. You know, if you play a five overtime game. Sure. Yeah. Uh, did he break the record? He played 65 minutes in that game. It was kind of silly. <sighs> yeah. Just a bit. And 80 something, 80 something shots for, was it Vasilevsky? Or was it the other goaltender? Might have been the other goaltender. Yeah, Corpusello. No, not Corpusello. Um, who the heck was it? I don't Were even they, remember. I thought that was against um, Columbus, but it was it. Yeah, Corpus. It, it was Corpusello. But right now, uh, heading into 82, next, eighty-two or eighty-five shots he had faced. So that was some kind of record. Uh, they broke a lot of records in that game. And and to be quite honest, as long and drawn out as it was, it was entertaining as well. I mean, that was a good game from front to back. It actually was a good, entertaining game. The quality of play didn't really drop like you see in most overtime situations that make it beyond uh, the second the second full overtime. Um, but here's the thing for Tampa. They have those three defensemen signed for next year. Mm-hmm. They only have five million in cap space. Okay, five point three three million and total of fifteen players signed. Sergachev is going to take up a lot of that money. He's probably going to take all of that money, <laughs> and then some. <laughs> I wouldn't quite go that far, but I would. I would say he's probably going to get between four and a half and five and a quarter which is effectively all of that money. 
Um, yeah. Even if you can bring back Luke Shen, it's probably not going to be uh, at less than two. Which still leaves you with it with a need for at least two other defensemen. Um, Tyler Johnson is the guy that everyone has talked about moving on from for five years at this point. Yeah, he's got three more years left on his deal, though. Um, Shen's most recent contract. Okay, Shen's contract was less than I thought it was. He was only 700000 700, last year. Mm-hmm. So even if you get him back for eight fifty or one, um, that's still eating space. If you can if you can find a way to move Johnson without taking salary back, uh, you're you're moving five five million even off of the uh, cap hit. But you're probably also going to have to move someone else. Um, might be Killorn, might be Gord. So, and then you have holes. So is America's latest good luck charm going to be on another team next season? Um, you're going to have to clarify. That would be Patrick Maroon. Oh, Stanley right. Stanley Cup this season, Stanley Cup last season with St. Louis. All things are possible. Um, he he's is 32. He's 32 years old. And he's, he's in the UFA. Um, he's, a Uf, he's a UFA. I, I mean, it just, I don't think that he, I don't think that Tampa Bay, as much as he is or isn't a good luck charm, whatever, I don't think that Tampa Bay has him as any sort of important in, in re-signing. No, I think that he'd probably like to stay there. I mean, Florida is that nice and wonderful little tax haven. Uh, as far as income tax, which, you know, will save him a decent chunk of change. Um, but and at 32, though, he's really probably not ready to retire. No, I'm um, not saying that he is. I don't think he's going to. I'm just I'm just thinking in terms of he's played with St. Louis last year, Tampa Bay this year. The last time he was with a team more than two years in a row was Edmonton in 15, 16, and 16, 17. And then yeah. in 17, 18, he was traded to the Devils. Or was he, he traded to the Devils? Okay. For a whopping 17 games. I mean, I, I don't know. He, he's he's not a quote-unquote prolific goal scorer. He's not... Uh, yeah, he had that one great season up in Edmonton uh, skating with McDavid, and that was about it. Uh, well, oh, that, yeah, that was his forty. That was his forty-two point season. Okay, yeah, twenty-seven goals, fifteen assists. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, he is what he is. He's somewhere between a twenty and a thirty point per game play, uh, per season player. But he he does bring other aspects. He brings physicality. He brings uh, knuckleheadedness because he can be a knucklehead. Yeah, more often than not. I just I don't know he brings, what his... he brings that playoff experience like if he's looking for a payday yes. at this point, which he probably should be given his age. Um, Get that one last three year, four year deal, three, four year deal. Um, if I'm a team that has not been to the playoffs in a while and I do have someone very specific in mind, I would strongly consider 
adding him for multiple reasons. Um, you've got starter protect. You need that playoff experience in the room and someone who can tell the guys, you know, this is how you perform in the regular season to be ready for the playoffs. Um, someone who's used to the grind um, and used to the grind being productive. Um, and then, you know, if you make the playoffs, you have all of that experience there uh, because, quite frankly, this team has been out of the playoffs for nine straight years. They have only five forwards signed for next season. And their most valuable player, and it's not even a question, um, has been speculated to want to be moving on. Um, he's come out. I mean, Jack Eichel has come out and said he's willing. He wants to stay and build. But I think the Buffalo Sabres are a pretty logical landing spot for a guy like Maroon. Uh, they, if they're willing to pay him three by three or three by four for the next few seasons, I think it's worth it just for the infusion of attitude, someone who can be that deterrent uh, for Eichel and for Skinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yes, you picked up Eric Stahl, uh, but Eric Stahl, for all that he's a much more skilled player than Patrick Maroon uh, and willing to be involved physically, it still isn't that sharp edge. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's great. Patrick Moon, the one team that he hasn't played for is the team that drafted him. The Philadelphia Flyers <laughs> back in 07. And he was a, he was a six round draft pick too. So, a six-round draft pick, if you're in the league a decade later, you're doing something right. Oh, agreed. Absolutely. And I like the idea of him going to Buffalo. I don't know if I want to see him that many times in Boston, but I, I from a standpoint of purely, you know, Buffalo and, and getting that institutional memory, uh, playoff experience, and the fact that he, uh, he could certainly be a, somewhat of a protector for, for an Eichel and – for the right money, yeah, I could see it. I mean, and Dallas is what old as dirt. All of their players are. All of their best forwards are old as dirt. With the well, with the exception of Tyler. Tyler's twenty eight, but Jamie Ben's thirty one. Pavelski's thirty six. Radulov's thirty four. But and, I mean, thirty three. <laughs> in hockey terms, as a forward, at you peak by like 25, 26, and you're at best plateaued at that point. And he's got that enormous contract through the heat death of the universe at 9.85. Yeah. I mean, it, in in a sense, they don't have to worry about those guys yet because, yes, yeah, Sagan, Sagan, Sagan. Sagan is <laughs> forever in a day. Ben is through 24-25. Pavelski's got this upcoming season as his last. No, no, no. Uh, there's two seasons left. Uh, the 2021 and 2022. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, two seasons. Okay. Yep. Radulov, two seasons. So you don't have to go into any kind of panic mode, but you do need to start thinking about the future. And, yeah, you got guys like Kiviranta who looked pretty good in – 
a very small sample size. You know what you've got with Guryanov. You know what you've got with Rupe Hints. So some of the younger guys. But the thing is, those guys are RFAs. You're going to be spending money on them now. Yep. I don't see – I'll be a little bit surprised if Corey Perry is back with uh, Dallas next year. And that's not a slight on his performance. I think no. it's just a numbers thing. At 35, he's signing one-year deals anyway. And I think that they're going to need whatever money they could give to him. They're going to need that money to give to a Gurianov, a Hintz, a Radic Faxa, who is arbitration eligible. Yeah, I don't see Corey Perry getting an offer from them unless it's a smaller number than Corey Perry's willing to take. Yeah, I uh, I mm. wonder where he'll where he'll land. I mean, he got bought out, and his contract the last year was not huge. Yeah. Um, at one and a half. The goaltending issue for them kind of jumps to first and foremost. Ben Bishop's a shade under five million per for the next three years. But Hudobin's the one that got you where you were at the end of this season. At least in this Hudobin is Hudobin is the reason that they made it as far as they did. But at, but at thirty four and a UFA, do you bring him back for just one more year? Do you, I mean, I I think he's got I think he's got the leverage to get at least a two year deal. Oh yeah, I would be inclined. I, to I'm not it. saying I would sign him as a three or four year deal, but he's got leverage and. I don't know. I don't know Jim Nil. I mean, I don't know any of the GMs personally, but I don't know Jim Nil as far as his style. Whether he, you know, is he willing to go this route or is he looking for the next big thing? And I mean, if I'm if I'm Jim if I'm Jim Nil, uh, I think I'm looking for young forwards before I uh, uh, dive into the goaltending murk. Um, on the goaltending front, uh, good two, segue. Two interesting stories. Mm-hmm. We have um, one out west with Robin Leonard signing that five-year bargain mm-hmm. basement contract. Yeah, for I'm sorry. Five How years, is- five at twenty-five. How do how do George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon get players to do that? <laughs> uh, I, I'm assuming that they're like giving remember away that, houses or something. Remember that salesmanship, uh, that that salesmanship, the the the, the experience that they need. I think they've got it because <laughs> you've convinced Robin Leonard. And granted, he's. He's had a couple of one-year things going on in the last few seasons. But to convince him, and he's got to be closer to seven in my mind. <laughs> based on based purely on his play, yes, he's a $7 million a year goaltender. Whether people like him or don't like him, whether they're comfortable with him or not, uh, he's that's where he plays. <laughs> He's got a home for the next five years. He hasn't had a home like that since he's been in in Buffalo. It's. I'm sorry. And and this article that you put up here was Robin Leonard's contract shows Bowman's incompetency. Yep. Uh, 
there's uh, some er, issues with the uh, with the writing itself, but uh, some strong points are made uh, on how Bowman and the Blackhawks just sort of whiffed on him. Well, yes, apparently he's involving into a great goalie in the NHL. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be evolving? <laughs> Uh, overall, this uh, the uh, Blackhawk Up um, article from the third is, is is it's got some solid points. I have um, to agree. I mean, and we were saying this before. I mean, when when they traded, I mean, Stan Bowman choosing uh, choosing to keep, but did they actually keep? Um, Crawford, is he actually signed through multiple years? I thought he was coming up toward the end of his contract as well. Well, even – okay, if, we'll start, if we start with the assumption that they kept him, what they did was bet on a guy with multiple concussions and vertigo over a younger goaltender who has at least to date been better in the, play, in the regular season. Um, Leonard came in and did pretty well in the playoffs as long as, you know, uh, Crawford is not signed at this point. Uh, the only goaltender, the Blackhawks have signed is Colin Delia. Colin uh, Delia. He actually played a couple two seasons ago. He was playing because they didn't have Corey Crawford. They had Colin Delia and, um, I forget who their other guy was. Anton Forsberg were playing boatloads of minutes because Corey Crawford was out for the season from December on. Colin Delia had his moments. He looked decent at times, but overall, I don't think that he's a number one, at least not at this point in his career. So, uh, yeah, uh, that so does you no good. Does you no good, and let's face it, the Chicago Blackhawks have been playing... Uh, have been rounding up the same gang for the last 10 years. I think if Patrick Sharp put on his pair of skates and was spotted at a rink, uh, he'd get a call to go back. <laughs> I'll tell them where they can, they can find him at NBC. He's sitting behind the desk <laughs> and looking much happier for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it will not surprise me. I know they have six defensemen signed and Slater uh, Cuckoo uh, as an RFA. Mm-hmm. It will not, it will honestly not surprise me if Dustin Bufflin is signed by the Chicago Blackhawks this off season for a one year deal or so. It won't well, going back home. Yeah. I, I can, I can certainly see it. I can also see them throw in uh, because Corey Crawford's a 35 or so it's what one year deals and if you take a chance on a two-year deal, uh, whatever the, the rules are about that. But I can see them throwing money at Corey Cropper. The thing is, and then you got Malcolm Subban, who's arbitration-eligible, RFA. Ugh. Their goaltending is a nightmare mess, and I can see why this guy in Chicagoland there is calling for Stan Bowman to be terminated. I think he's kind of made a hash of it. He couldn't get Leonard to sign. I don't know. I don't know if he fell in love with Corey Crawford because he's won cups. 
And that seems to be a theme there because yeah, you bring him back all you bring back all the old guys, and I don't mean old in terms of you know number, but just old in terms of you know in the past. Mm-hmm. You brought back Saad. Uh, you brought back you. You brought yes. back other defensemen and whatnot, all because mostly because they were players that won cups in the past, and whether they're affordable or not, you've still got Taze and Kane. Uh, Corey Crawford's won you two cups, so they're probably going to re-sign him. So you chose that over Robin Leonard. Stan Which, Bowman, I think, is guilty of the one thing that, especially like here in New England, Bill Belichick. Hubris, falling in love with your picks and yeah. your players? Yes. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Belichick has effectively made a career out of getting rid of his getting rid of old of players a year before they crash. I don't know how he does it, but they usually get traded, have one more decent season and then fall completely off the map. It's it, it's very I mean It's uncanny. You look at Mal, you look at Malcolm Butler. Yep. Winning interception in Super Bowl 49. Mhm. Had issues the next year or or two years later and now you don't hear him no there's no talk of him being one of the top cornerbacks in their league i mean how does he i don't know how he does it he he gets the best out of the players he brings them in sometimes they're older players that other teams would assume are washed up he brings them in gets them to give him one strong year maybe two and then doesn't fall in love with them lets him go and he's willing to let i mean he traded he traded one guy to the Browns because it, the guy didn't listen to him or whatever. And it's like he doesn't fall in love with anybody. And Bowman here seems falls to in love with fallen. everyone who wears the uniform. That's what it, that, that's the only that's the only impression that I get from this. Because why would you not? Yes, I like Corey Crawford. Yes, he's one. You, but right now, Robin Leonard is the better goaltender, and you let him go the better healthier goaltender and that health thing is really really important yeah so congratulations to robin leonard i i like the end of this i like the end of this little article his little article here i wish the best to robin leonard as he's a great guy and one of my favorite players of all time the awareness for mental health he has brought to the world of hockey is much needed this man will win a Stanley Cup in the near future, something he deserves. The other goaltender is uh, somewhat closer to the end of his career. Um, we're all familiar with Lundqvist having been bought out uh, by the Rangers. And uh, Elliot Friedman uh, commented that there was apparently some at least tenuous mutual interest uh with the Washington Capitals in the Lundquist camp, should really? Lundquist decide to play another year? Um, yes. So he mo- ended a segment uh, with, I believe it was on Hockey Central with uh, with that report. Okay. Uh, with um, Braden Holtby likely gone to free agency, um, send, due to cap space at and quite frankly, not playing well the last two years. Um, this, uh, him and Ilya Samsonov, um, 
might just be a good good fit a good pairing for the next year. Well, if, if you're expecting that Samsonov is going to step into the number one role, uh, and I don't who's coaching there now? Oh, Laviolette. I don't know. I, Laviolette, he he stuck with he stuck with um, yeah. What's his name? Down in over in Nashville. Renee. Yeah, he stuck with Rene uh, and kept you say Saros. I think he was trying to shield Saros for most of it. I think that he was he was getting what he want what he needed and wanted out of Rene, so he could mm-hmm. shield Saros for the time. I don't think he's going to have that option here. I think if Holby is indeed gone, I think Samsonov has to be, unless you go out and sign. Somebody uh, Antonio Dobin and on Antonio Dobin. There you go. Perfect. Bring him in. I think Samsonov played well enough in his sample size this season that I think yes. he, he looks ready. It's a small sample size, but yeah, he looked ready. Me personally, if assuming that it was going to be a standard 82 game, you know, October to April um, season, I would pencil it in as 50 starts for the kid and the other 32 for Lundqvist and roll from there, you know, put them on the board, make sure that, you know, the youngster knows when he's going to be expected to play before I, it, it, which would probably all go out the window within the first two weeks due to injury illness or something else. But um, I think that, Establishing that routine as an NHL starter with a 50 game season and allowing time for correction and coaching and uh, reflection um, and just rest uh, for him is probably the best way to do it. Uh, We talked last week a little bit about how they could accomplish an 82 game season with the uh, reason for this year's shutdown still looming. Um, I think there's a couple of ways to do that, uh, to do that and compress things usefully. Um, but I don't know that the league would actually do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. You, you brought up, you found this article and it, it mentions that the two destinations for Lundqvist, uh, the two top two are the hurricanes and the avalanche. Um, yeah. Washington, Washington milling about. And then just this morning, I found one and it's an interesting thought for Lundquist as well. Uh, there's still a carousel out in Vegas as far as goaltending. They just signed Robin Leonard. You know, what are they going to do with Marc-Andre Fleury? Uh, an interesting point was raised. Do the Golden Knights bring in Lundquist to be Leonard's backup? His role would be defined. He doesn't have to be the number one because clearly Peter DeBoer likes Robin Leonard. We saw that during the playoffs. Yes. Uh, Alan Walsh sort of stuck that point in rather firmly <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> he, he, he stuck that point in. There's no reference. There's no, no. Stuck the. Okay, never mind. <laughs> 
That was that. Alan Walsh. <laughs> I, I Alan, wow. Yeah. Okay. He makes me laugh most of the time, but he backs up his players. That every time Halak was doing something for Boston, there was a tweet about it. Best backup in the you know best goalie in the NHL you know. But back to the lung. I mean, Lundqvist going to Vegas is that even something that? I mean, is that just pie in the sky, or is that something that has teeth? Could uh, he end up being the backup in Vegas? See, even with all of the dynamism of this year's goalie carousel, which is moving in four dimensions, um, I don't know that they'll actually move Flurry just based on what we don't know about next year's schedule. Is it going to be compressed into four months where everyone's playing 20 games a month? Um, is it going to be, is it going to be stretched out? How many times is it going to be interrupted by, uh, uh, by national health concerns? Mm-hmm. Um, I, is there a viable backup, whether it's within the system or outside the system? Uh, that's one arm of the strategy tree or decision-making tree. Another question is, does Lundquist actually want to play another year in North America? He could go home, play in uh, his National League there, and you know, probably win a championship. He's still... Over a short run, I think capable of dominating most uh, any of the European leagues, and right. that's the th- that's the thing that's missing from his resume is a top championship. Yeah, no Stanley Cup, no, no Stanley Cup on his resume. Um, Does he have a gold medal? I believe he has a gold medal. Okay, I would have to double check, but I I, I want to say yes. Um, so if, if one of those things is not true, then yeah, it's complete pie in the sky to Vegas or really anywhere. Um, I can see him preferring an East coast team for multiple reasons. You know, his family spends their time in New York Mm -hmm. uh, when they're here in the U S uh, better familiarity with the teams and the players. Um, the Russian machine never breaks article that I read today or yesterday um, talks about the mutual respect between himself and Ovechkin. Um, I'm not saying Washington wouldn't be a good fit. He, like you said, he could be a backup to he could be a backup and mentor to the youngster. Uh, Samsonov is only 23 years old or Samsonov as he pronounces it. Yeah. Um, Ilya Samsonov. Uh at 23, you could certainly use somebody with the experience of a Henrik Lundqvist behind him. And someone who's clearly not a rival. Because, let's face it, Lundqvist, no matter what, is not going to be playing three years from now. I would agree, yeah. Or certainly not want to be, want to be playing 70 games a night or a season four years from now. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to have to worry about that with a 23-year-old in front of him. I mean, again, I don't think he'd have to worry about that with Leonard in front of him in Vegas either. Just 
I I think that yeah, as far as East Coast West Coast, his family is out here. I can see I I can see the Washington move being the more comfortable. Yes. I think I think that comes down to pure comfort. I mean, wherever he goes, I don't think I don't think wherever he goes that he's going to be expected to be the number one. He's not going to be expected to play 60 to 70 games <laughs> as he's done in the past. Uh, any general manager who pulls Longquist in and sits him and wants him to be their NHL uh, number one. <laughs> Dude, you should just pack up your office at the mo- <laughs> immediately. And I don't know what I I can't say I know what Lundqvist, but I don't know if Lundqvist maybe maybe Henrik believes that he can still be the number one. But if he's going to be a quote unquote number one, I think the best you're going, I think the best you're going to see him is he's going to be stuck in a tandem like we have in Boston, where he's only playing half the season or slightly more than half. You're not. I just. I don't. Yeah. It's gonna have to. It's gonna have to be a team like Washington or Golden or or Vegas, somewhere where he's clearly not the number one. He can play what, say, twenty five games in a season, maybe twenty five, thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The only other place I can kind of maybe sort of see him going, and I don't think it's a great solution, is Minnesota, simply because of all the turnover that's going on there. Um, I, I like Bill Guerin a lot, but Minnesota, uh, he needs to. He needs and, to and, stay, get and stay young. Yes, I mean between Dubnik and the 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 movement, and Dubnik possibly moving to San Jose. I I read. Uh, so who do the, Alex Stalock is. Probably not the long-term answer as a number one. He he filled in admirably admirably this season, but I don't know that he's your long-term solution. You, so are you bringing in a Mark Andre Fleury to either play in front of or behind Staylock? Are you you've got guys like Cam Talbot still available? Uh, Jimmy Howard. Is has said that he's not going to be playing in in Detroit. Detroit. I mean, Jimmy Howard could be another backup to to Leonard. I mean, there's the 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 goalie carousel this season is ridiculous. And yes, Tristan Jari, I guess, signed a deal with Pittsburgh, but where does that leave Matt Murray on injured reserve? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. The goaltending is just it, it. Yeah, this is it. It that is one thing that I'm going to enjoy watching is seeing where all these. And with this week uh, being the draft, there's, I think we're going to see some some trades of expiring contracts and uh, RFAs heading into and throughout the draft. Mm-hmm. Um. You want to put an over under on trades that happen during uh, or be- before the start of the second round between today and the start of the second round, which would be Wednesday of this week. Uh, an over under number, huh? Go uh, ahead. Oh, jeez. Um, ten. 
Oh, uh, I will have to take the under on that one. I, I would have said I, over I, for five and a half or six, but yeah, I, I was ten trades to, is a lot. Ten trades is a lot. I don't know. There's going to be some movement. I honestly don't know. But yeah, with all the goalies that are available, um, teams that are going to want to get into the thing is, you're not getting Lefren. You're not getting Lafreniere. Not without overpaying. seriously overpaying you yeah you might get Uh, byfield you might get byfield um, at number two i still think i I, I still think you're gonna have to dramatically overpay for byfield uh, i'm not sure that that's necessarily ruled out uh given what we've seen but is it possible moving up into the top a lot of teams looking to move up into the top 10 or just getting a first-round draft pick back. Mm. Boston. <laughs> Who's done terrible things with their first-round draft picks in the last couple of years. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Tampa Bay doesn't have a first-round pick. Uh, Tampa Bay has... But they, they also but they also have pieces that they can deal. Oh, absolutely. Such as, and I don't know if Tyler Johnson necessarily brings in a first-round pick, but... Yes, he does. Tyler Johnson, really? With Tyler Johnson is still a very skilled player with yeah. a lot of cap certainty attached to it. There is no way he doesn't net you either a first by himself or something that you can turn into a first. Like if someone trades you two seconds or you might be able to use those to get yourself that first round pick uh, in that you know, maybe eight to 15 slot. Okay. Um, do I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, if you trade him, you can grab that number three and pick up Tim mm-hmm. uh, Stoltze. He still got four years on his deal this yeah. year and three more. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that, I don't know that Tampa Bay is going to trade Tyler Johnson. I, I, I don't see it. Just because they do have him inked into a five, you know, five million dollars per for the next four seasons, I don't see them moving him not yet, unless. But they need to move. Some, they need to move people in order to get, in order to fill their roster for the season. It's just that simple. They've Toronto. only got five million to fill like twelve. Oh, Toronto, forget about Toronto. <laughs> every like every time I look at their roster, I am legitimately. No, but can Jim Nill annoyed who is down in Tampa Bay? Um, can Brisebois convince Toronto to take on yet another big-ish contract? <laughs> well, that depends on what the metrics look like on on the con on the player. Oh yeah, and. It, it, I figure if Kyle Dubas is willing to give away money, which he seems to be, um, <laughs> then bringing in Tyler Johnson shouldn't be that much of a stretch for him. <laughs> no. I mean. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with your assessment of what Kyle Dubas would do right. for the right, wrong reasons. Dubas has a first-round pick, just not his own. They have the they have Pittsburgh's first rounder. Interesting. So, 
they would be dealing away somebody else. Yeah, and I, I just, uh, this is going to be a very interesting next couple of days. <laughs> I, just, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen at this year's draft. I, I think that, I think that with it being done virtually, there's a. I don't know if there. I don't know if it's going to be as emotional for the teams as as before. Um, yes, they've spent most of a year in in the bubble in their own team bubbles at this point. Um, so having their war room not be elbow to elbow with, you know, the other thirty teams in the league. I don't know what impact it's going to have. Uh, Sweeney and Neely have been at the table uh, a lot of years in a row. Um, I don't think they're going to get caught up. Uh, personally, uh, you know, Bill Guerin, still brand new uh, as a general manager. Um, this is this is a loss of valuable face-to-face time for learning those cues uh, of the, and that salesmanship to your fellow GMs uh, and figuring out which guys are jacking up the price just because they're amused um, and which ones have some sort of internal mandate that says that they can't move a guy for under this uh, return. Okay. Um, those are valuable things to learn and, uh, and much easier to learn face to face than over some video conference. Agreed. I the the whole the whole virtual of it. It just it it adds just this air of uncertainty and because yeah you you're not the kids aren't going to be getting that that FaceTime. It, it's thrown a complete monkey, uh, whatever the phrase you want to use, monkey in the wrench or wrench in the monkey or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just don't see uh, moving up in this. After Lafreniere and Byfield, it, it gets a little bit sketchy. So I don't know if, if there's some movement to be made there. I can see teams wanting to jump up and. Uh, especially if you're going after like a defenseman like Drysdale. I think that that's the, that's where you're going to see movement around. Uh, it's going to be players moving up for those first three defensemen, maybe, maybe four defensemen. Cause I think that there's a bigger drop there among the defense than there is among the um, forwards. Um, from what I've read from the two draft guides that we use, wouldn't necessarily surprise me to see uh, several uh, several teams move up one slot or move up, move down one slot uh, just to try and take a, a given player and gain some value. Um, last week we talked really quickly about ways to do the schedule and avoid having a shutdown yes you wanted to you you had some ideas i believe yeah without doing it in a bubble assuming that you're going to do it in everyone's home arenas you know all 31 teams 
whether there's fans or not, whether it's full fans or, you know, limited fans. Um, I think you probably have to completely destroy the current model, which has teams playing, you know, five or six different teams, you know, in a month or over a two week period. Okay. First thing for me, if let's take the, let's take the metropolitan teams. The Rangers would play all of their home games against the Islanders. You know, you play them three times in one week. If it's what, if it's, uh, if it's three, um, the only, and you would do the same thing with any other division and, or, um, conference team. If a no back to backs, unless it's against, uh, the same team. So you're limiting travel, you're limiting exposure time, and you're adding in a buffer to catch everything with, you know, theoretically a test leaving an arena, have the players tested after the games, um, or, you know, when they get back to their hotels, mm-hmm. um, and then before the game, you have a second chance to catch it if someone uh, has contracted uh, the disorder. Um <sighs> If you're doing it with no fans, um, and especially for the arenas that have multiple, uh, multiple, um, multiple locker rooms, more than just, you know, the two that are normally in use, you may want to spread the players out. Um, I know it doesn't do any good once they hit the bench. Um, or maybe you only allow, maybe you put the trainer's room in one of the spare locker rooms uh, so that there's better ventilation. Uh, As far as moving from arena to arena, you may, you may well want to do buses for, for arenas that are fairly close to each other or even, you know, four or five hours away from each other. Um, I know. Overflying, yeah. If you can rent, if you can buy or rent your own bus, you have more control over it. You can get that fresh fresh air and ventilation by opening the windows a little bit, or even AC. Wait, uh, you can't open windows on a plane. Mm, not the last time I checked. Uh, I believe it's slightly contraindicated. Um, so you know, it. We know that the Bruins used to take a train up to see up to Montreal for games there. Perfectly possible to do it in the future or take a bus, you know, weather dependent. Um, The Metropolitan Division teams have no excuse for not taking a bus if there's uh, for, you know, as I said, for that better ventilation um, over flying, Um, even, you know, Tampa Bay and. Uh, the Florida Panthers, two and a half hour drive, I believe it is. That's, uh, something like that, yeah. That's a perfectly reasonable bus drive. Um, you're lowering uh, the chances of any sort of infection spreading with with the with the windows opened uh, slightly. Okay. Um, I, I it gets harder out west because you know Colorado and 
Vegas aren't particularly close and Dallas and Vancouver are not quite neighbors. Uh, no. Uh, but I think you need to compress the schedule and reduce the travel. Um, and I think that's where the, we're doing the two or three or all of the home games against one opponent, uh, all, uh, all condensed. So you would do flying. three, you would do three home, you would do three home games against the same opponent. Yep. Back you to, play, well, not back to back to back, but I mean in a row, Yes. not spaced out. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or whatever it works out being, have all three of them uh, for one end of it in one city, and maybe in the next month or two months later, depending on how you're how you want to do the schedule, you go and do it the opposite way. I mean, college hockey in some cases does similar does a similar does it similar. Yes, Um, and it's. Theoretically, I mean, it's going to be a little bit less expensive. Not that that's actually the driving motivation. Um, and I think it will be better for the rivalries, even if there's zero fans in the arena. Because like in the playoffs, playing someone three times in a row, it's going to get your adrenaline up. There's something is going to happen in game one that carries over to game two, which pushes the momentum Um and pushes the energy into game three. Almost gives it a little bit, and and I'm not saying that it's the same thing. Don't jump down my throat, but it gives it a little bit of a playoff feel or playoff absolutely. Because yeah, you know you're playing the same team again two more times. You don't want to win. You don't want to lose that first one. But if you do, you know, you know, you got to bring it second, third night because you want to, you want to have the, the upper hand and, and you don't want to be swept. Certainly not in your own arena. Yeah. Uh, my only thing with the second, with with the second point that you made about uh, spacing out the players and and if we don't have fans in the stand, I think the whole point of, I think at least part of the point, and I think it's the whole thing, but with Gary wanting to move it this the start of the season back into January is I think he's trying to open up to the possibility of fans in the stands. I do too. And they, I think they, and also, they need that gate money. I mean as much as T V contract much as T V contracts are great, the fact that you've got a flat flat salary cap, you're not going up, you're not going back, but it, you need to be they need to be making money. I mean you're not and going to be able to sustain just on those TV contracts alone. No, and it's not just the arena money or the in-gate thing. I'm willing to bet you that every team across every major sport is down jersey and apparel and accessory and whatever sales, merchandise sales in Merchandising, general. Merchandising, yeah. Um, even, even the championship teams. I, I'm willing to bet you the Tampa Bay Lightning have a – much smaller spike from winning the Stanley Cup than we're used to seeing from Stanley Cup champions over their right over their normal sales. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Not, not because they didn't, not because they were a bad team or because everyone hates them, but simply because the fans have been divorced from uh, from the game and from the team 
by circumstance. I mean, how many how many times when we talk about jerseys and I yes, we have the three year roll the three year roll and all that, but how many times have we talked about you know we're going to go to a game uh, and I want to get jersey. this guy, yes. I want to get this guy's jersey. Oh, absolutely. I the mean, fact that the, the fact that you're not attending, the fact that the fans aren't attending the game, that's one of the driving forces behind. Oh, I got to get a I got to get a, a, a Corey Perry jersey. I got to get a, a Vasilevsky jersey. I'm going to the game. You know, it, yep. It's not happening because there is no going to the game. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and let's face it, the other the other long term component is the arena district experience uh, um it's if this if the circumstances we've seen this year since march continue mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the most restrictive areas those arena districts are going to be wastelands because a lot of the revenue and projected revenue not to mention the cost of being in those spots for the for the restaurants and the and the stores and the ticket resellers and whoever um, is based on being around an active arena, a destination uh-huh. that has people coming into it by the thousands, 300 <laughs> nights, a, 300 nights a year. Detroit, uh, brand new arena, there, little Caesars and all of the restaurants and everything that went into that whole complex. Yep. You look at where the TD Garden is and all the renovations that they've done yep. around the building so that they've got places like a tasty – they got the Tasty Burger in there. They're building – you know, they got the new stores and, and whatnot in there. It, that fan experience is uh, bye-bye, and those stores that are paying premium rent on – or premium leasing, you know, premium lease deals because of the location being that close to the stadium and the foot traffic and everything else all out the window. Bye-bye. They're going to be, they're going to be wastelands. They're going, if this situation continues, it, it will take years for them to recover. And leaving aside all of the costs for, for, to the owners of those businesses and the people who work there, mm-hmm. it's a feedback loop. If there's no experience that makes being downtown around that arena, there's no reason to go downtown except to go in and leave. And there's no there's no point in anyone rebuilding the restaurants if even the if even places that have been in business for 30 and 40 years have gone out and no one's filling those locations because, well, there's still no foot traffic. And it's not just the team. It's not just the current teams. You take a look at an area like Seattle that's building their stadium and building – the surrounding, you know, building up that whole area. Oh, yeah. The commercial area. They haven't even started playing yet, and they've already got to consider. Do we want to even <sighs> continue this? I mean. I mean. They're not going to pull out of the NHL, but I mean, it, 
how much does it affect what they're doing as far as the infrastructure, the buildings, again, the surrounding businesses? What kind of an effect is it going to have on that as far if as – If nothing else, I would be reaching out to the NHL <laughs> and to the creditors to restructure the deal uh, based on the current circumstances so that I have an extra year or two to pay down whatever debt or financing I've taken to uh, to create my portion of it, whether it's the team, the team in the arena – the team, the arena, and a couple of nearby properties, because this is slightly terrifying. Um, you know, locally we've seen, and Seattle is just uh, is is effectively as far north as Boston. Um, we've seen outdoor dining, but you and I both know that's not going to continue into December. Even if we have a very warm November, October, November, it people just aren't going to go sit outside and eat. No, uh, that's why. For you know, December, January, March at minimum. How difficult is it? How difficult is it to eat your your, your pasta or whatever when your hand is shaking like this from the cold? <laughs> or and even, yes, I know you can't see it, but you know. Yeah. When you shiver because you're cold and you're trying to shovel a fork full of pasta into your mouth. <laughs> or your coffee or hot chocolate won't stay warm because it's, you know, 20 yeah. degrees out. I think that's why they expanded, or I believe they expanded in interior seating. Um, I, I had one of the restaurant owners in the in where I live here in the area that said that, they had expanded interior seating. They were almost back to it was like almost back to normal. And I was like, I hadn't heard that, but he, she said that yeah, they, they can seat more people inside now. And I'm like, that's because winter's coming. Have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I, else do we have on the board? Just uh, um, not a lot today because I don't know. With the end of the season, we generally find that there isn't as much to talk about. Uh, the draft is coming up in a couple of days. We talked about the draft. We talked about um, – I found an article uh, for, for the local team, and, and this is Boston Hockey Now, which is uh, Jimmy Murphy published Jimmy. this published this on October 1st a few days ago. Uh, had you heard that there were Tuka Rask trade rumors? I had not. I mean, apparently there. It says beside the Tuka Rask trade rumors from earlier on wait, Thursday. Tuka Rask. The Bruins trading. Impossible. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but apparently Sweeney uh, is talking to other teams, and we talked about one of those players last week. Soothsayers that we are. Um, OEL was one of them. Uh, but the other one kind of puzzled me because they're talking to the Oilers about Alex Chason, and I don't get it. Yeah, that one makes no sense to me. Uh, I mean, I understand that he's got some useful – I understand he's an NHL-quality player. I just don't understand what of those qualities fit on the Boston Bruins. I don't get it either. I mean, the interesting part of this is the second paragraph or the third paragraph where it says, after linking the Bruins to Ekman Larson, uh, 
Elliot Friedman tweeted on Thursday that OEL, who has a no-movement clause, we talked about that, uh, he has narrowed down his list to the Bruins and the Canucks as the two teams he'd waive his no-movement clause for. That's fascinating. Uh, I had not seen that um, long-term. from Elliot Friedman, but Vancouver and Boston. I mean, both teams would have to do something to free up cap space, but I think both teams would make a serious attempt. Yeah, um, this is going to be an interesting bat. This this is going to be an interesting fight. <laughs> and the fun thing there is that with the Canucks GM Jim Benning having been a part of the Bruins organization for several years, he's got a decent amount of insight into current roster players and maybe one or two of the prospects uh, still in the system here. Um, and I wonder how he'd leverage that. Uh, something. What is Jim Benning not running the Canucks? Uh, I thought it he sa- was. It says here the Canucks recently hired former Providence Bruins assistant head coach and forward Billy Armstrong as their new general manager. I completely missed the Canucks uh, changing general managers then. Uh, yeah, because I'm trying to figure out why you would need to replace Benning. Uh, particularly after he had a, I mean, he produced a, well, that's fascinating. I'm pulling it up right now. Pat Friendly still shows him as the general manager. Uh, he serves as the GM of the Vancouver Canucks in the National Hockey League. Yes, I don't know what... I don't know what Jimmy Murphy is playing at here. Hold on a sec. Um, No, um, go ahead with the... um, No, I'm just thinking, okay, so uh, Drager tweeted out that the Oilers are also talking to uh, Billy Armstrong as... Uh, about Ekman Larson. Are you sure? I, I, I think, does he mean that the the Coyotes hired? And, uh, Coyotes and, hiring someone makes way more sense because... Yeah, I think that this might be a... a yeah, it might be a typo. Uh, both begin with C. <laughs> Seriously, I just... I just think that it's – I would love to see OEL in a Bruins uniform. We've said it many times. Oh, God. Going back at de- almost a decade at this point. Yes. Bill Armstrong is the GM of the Arizona Coyotes. Which makes much more sense. Thank you. Okay. So, Jimmy Murphy, sorry to call you out during our thing here, but, yeah, you goofed. Yeah. <laughs> uh. 29-year-old defenseman would cost them a first-round pick. I, yeah. The Bruins can scrape up a first-round pick without having to trade anyone key. They don't have a first-round pick. I said if they can scrape one up. Oh, okay. And it, it, it may not have to be this year's first-round draft pick. If it's next year's, go for it. Just go ahead and do it. You're probably it's better than you trading it for any of the forwards who have picked up who have been picked up involving a first round draft pick in the last couple of years. I mean, Kashe and he who shall not be named 
mm-hmm. um, Mr. Uh, playoff underwhelmer of the century. Yeah. But they're actually the actual the actual belief in this article, Jimmy, the Jimmy, is that uh, he who shall not be named, Mr. Uh, CM, uh, would be who they the Coyotes ask for as far as the. Oh no no! I, I was talking about a former first round draft pick uh, uh, or a a forward that they traded for, oh, uh, Mr. Okay. Nash. Oh yes, okay. I get it now. If, um, Mr. McAvoy, Charlie, is who they would be asking for. Is, okay. Um, the problem okay. here is that he has – Jimmy has confirmed that Mr. McAvoy is off limits. Right. Off limits in any right. trade talks. Um, but somehow I, I get the impression, and so does Jimmy Murphy, that – Brandon Carlo is okay to trade. Um, I'm glad I was sitting down as you're reading off these points uh, because if that's the Bruins' standpoint. No, uh, I would point no. out. I would point out uh, exactly how they finished their season in the last two years. Uh, the other, it, it, I no. If you want to send McAvoy to Arizona, send him to Arizona. Call it a day. You know, you have one of those. It's with great reluctance. You know, yes, we're really giving up. A, uh, Arizona is really getting a special talent yes. and a really good man uh, speeches queued up. Maybe do a highlight reel and uh, at the press conference and then an even bigger ceremony uh, on his first trip back to Boston. Yeah, but you you make the deal. I think it's interesting that. If he's if OEL has already stated that his two teams are Vancouver and Boston, I'm still trying to figure out how the Oilers play into it. They're going to have to be like the third team of a three team deal, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know how it affects a a no movement or a no trade clause. I mean, if the Oilers are past once you were traded, um, your no trade clause no longer had any status. Um, I don't know if that's true under the new CBA. I have not gotten to read that deep into it. Okay. No, because I mean, all this talk of, of, of the Oilers should be in on OEL and it's like, well, the Oilers uh, should be in on OEL. They need defense. (laughs) They've needed defense for the past two decades. Yes. Um, but as we discussed prior to the show, the oxymoron that is young developing blue liner in Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> and, and somebody named Jason Greger, and I'm not sure who he is, but uh, it was retweeted by Drager. It says, if OEL is available, then Oilers should be interested. The concern of possible final two years of deal being an issue are overshadowed by the fact that he is a legit number one D-man now. Yes, he is a number one defenseman. And will be for at least five years. Don't sell the farm, but Yotes aren't in position of strength. Um, why aren't they in a position of strength? It, if they don't trade OEL, then you still have a number one defenseman. Tro- but uh, they were god-awful at scoring this year. They need to find some offense. I understand that. But if you 
if you find your scoring at the behest of, of dealing away your best defenseman, then scoring four goals a night or three goals a night is going to net you as many wins as uh, scoring two goals a night if you have a decor that can keep you to one, keep the opponent to one. If they score three, but your decor is weakened and you allow four, I mean, you're you're throwing an awful lot. And, and don't get me wrong, I love Darcy Kemper, but you're throwing an awful lot more onto Darcy Kemper's shoulders by dealing away your number one defenseman. I mean, yes, they have Chikrin, but who do they have after that? Who they believe is a number one goaltender, if not now, certainly within a year or two. And who? Uh, Chikrin, number one defenseman. Yes. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I would, again, love to see OEL in uniform. Love the fact that we are one of his top two choices. Don't know if we can swing it because we don't have that number one pick unless they're willing to take next year's. It may have to be like multiple picks because it's not this year's number one. It it doesn't matter anyway. If it was this year's number one, it's still down in like the mid twenties. The turnaround. Yeah, late twenties, yeah. Mid or late twenties, whatever it is. Uh, Just get it done, whichever it is. If if he's available and you don't trade for him and you can. Uh, if and he's available you, to be gonna, gotten without breaking your system, and you're going to lose Krug, unfortunately, yeah, he's not gone yet though. He hasn't been traded anywhere, as far as I can tell. He'll be traded at the draft. Like legitimately, I think we'll see him traded at the draft. Yeah, but that He'll doesn't be, give anybody that. That doesn't give anybody. Uh, it gives them a week, almost, or it gives them between. If if it's Tuesday, it gives, still gives them until the ninth uh, to have exclusive trade or draft right uh, or trade or negotiation rights is what I'm looking for. Yes. And the last interesting bit about this article is uh, Oil's Bruins bidding Ekman Larson. They've also been talking trade. Apparently the Bruins have been talking with the Oilers, uh, Mr. Ken Holland, uh, on a trade one for one, and it would send Anders Bjork to the Oilers for Alex Chason. Okay, dedicated right wing, a little bit more mature, um, not too expensive. Even though I liked Anders Bjork, I could live with that trade. There's a lot. I mean, you're giving up six or seven years of age difference uh, there. It may be as little as five, but you're giving up. You're giving up uh, some age. But if you have a guy, it, the Bruins are in win now mode. Period. They've got maybe three years left for Bergeron and Krejci. Um, Marchand isn't much younger. Um, and you've what got I, no more than two more years for Chara. What if I was to tell you? Instead of Chase on swap in Andreas Athanasiu. Despite rumors to the contrary, I don't actually hate Andreas Athanasiu. <laughs> that would be uh, me, boys and girls. <laughs> I just not sure that he's a solution. 
I just think he, four years younger, I think he's faster. I mean, he is he is going to bring some speed to the team. Uh, Points-wise, in 10 less games, he had two more points. It, granted, he was split between the Wings and the Oilers, so you can't get a really firm grip on what Andreas' season would have been like had he been all with one team or all with the other team. Because uh, he did get a little bit of, he did get a tiny bit of playing time with McDavid at one point, or I think it was with right. McDavid. But he wasn't there regularly. I, I'm not quite sure how I feel on either one of them. I think for me, and yes, I do like Athanasiu. I'm not as big a fan of Chasen. I think I'd rather see the younger guy. He's a little bit quicker. I think there's a little bit more upside there. Uh, and Anders Bjork, I like Anders. I mean, all the time we've seen of him. But is he another? Is is he another victim of the Danton? Danton Heinen issue where he doesn't put the puck in the net enough. Yeah, I mean, he's starting to remind me of uh, of a couple of other youngsters who have come through, done everything right away from the puck, and with the puck can't save their own lives. And he played hard during this playoffs. He was arguably one of their top three forwards throughout the playoffs. Uh, I think it's probably safe to call Charlie uh, Coyle the best forward uh, yeah. consistently through the playoffs, but there's not uh, uh, the after that. Um, after that, you're probably looking at least as far at least as long as he was healthy. Probably Sean Corelli is number two. And that's a problem. I mean, Marchand played well in sp- in spots, Bergeron, Bergeron, uh, but not at anything like his previous level. Uh, well, clearly, Pasto is was not 100% healthy. Um, but he's uh, never that. been a playoff performer. I'm not saying he's... He, just playing stinks on ice in the playoffs because that's not true. I mean, he had, he played 10 games. He had 10 points this year, which is, which is really, really solid. Um, but you know, he was well over a point per game at 81 points in 66 games last season. And then in the playoffs, he was well under a point per game at 19 points in 24 games. Um, he, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I know that I there's, mean, I know that there's been injuries. So yes, the thing, is there's issues. His, the thing is, if you take his playoffs as, as a whole and just look at, okay, he played in 52 playoff games. He's got 53 points, 20 goals, 33 assists. He is a point per game performer in the playoffs. Yeah. But how many are, but how many of the games were games where he was the dominant player mm. of those 52 games? How many games can you say he took it over? You can look at games on Bergeron's resume, on Marchand's resume, um, yes. on Kane's resume, on Tay's resume, on 
Kopitar, even Dustin Brown, and say Dustin Brown. There's two to five games. There's two to five games minimum for any of those guys where you can say, "Holy moly, that was the best dude on the ice." Hell, I can Uh, say that about a couple of playoff games for Milan Lucic. Yeah, (laughs) where he just he just decided that you know what. We're winning. <laughs> we're gonna win. We're gonna win, and it's gonna happen now. Um, uh, against Toronto comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, Bergeron gets all the credit for scoring the two goals, but that 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 rebound that 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 comeback doesn't start without Milan just totally dominating in the in the corners in the offensive zone, and then he scores one himself in front of the net to make it five four or four four or whatever it was. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, you're right. I can't think of a game where Pasta has. And I, and I am in no way saying that, you know, his points are garbage or anything like that. They're but, not. They do come at they, they some of his goals come at big moments, but they're in the regular season. But when you look at his playoff career as a whole and he's played almost a full season's worth of playoff games at this point, I can't point to three games and say. David Pasternak is the reason they won that game. Off the top of my head, no. I and and that's the thing is like I can pull that Lucic thing off the top of my head. You know, you can. It, it's a little bit more difficult to do with teams like Chicago or or wherever. You know, and say, oh yeah, I remember when John when Taze did this or when Kane. I mean, the comeback against Boston in 2013. Yeah, when they scored two goals in the final minute. I know that it was Brian Bickle, but who set him up? Um, yeah, or yeah. you know, you look at the number of times that Kucherov just pulled the game out of his rear end uh, for Tampa Bay Lightning this year, or for that matter, uh, Hadman did it, or 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 Braden Point. Uh, those are guys who you look at their their performance over a playoff run and say, yeah, this is this is a dude. Uh, I think we've actually covered everything this week. Um, we have. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is where I leave you. Uh, watch the draft. I will be commenting probably on it later. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be tied up during the first round. Um, I will watch it later, comment um, on all the trades. Um those of you who uh, follow us, definitely tweet at me with uh, anything really interesting during the draft. I will have, uh, I will try and have Twitter up while I'm doing the other stuff in my life. Chris? I will be uh, most likely watching the draft that evening. And so I'm obviously, if you follow Mike on Twitter, if you follow, even if you follow me, you know that I don't tweet as much as he does, but I will attempt to be more vocal on the Twitter feed. Uh, other than that, I'm just looking forward to the free agency and what's going to happen and all the moves that are going to be made. So uh, you can find me at the off wing. You can find me at Puck Sage. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Share the show, love the show, uh, play the show. Take care.